Kia ora. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Jessie Chang, one of the show's producers. It's day one of the lockdown and I'm currently at Artair Square in the Auckland CBD, which normally is bustling uh, at any time of day. But currently there are more seagulls, as I'm sure you can hear, than there are people. Um, And that's a good thing. Good to see you guys staying safe and staying at home and listening to our podcast. What a week. It feels like months have passed. But as Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern pointed out yesterday, a lot has happened in that week. On Monday, we said we needed to shut New Zealand down. Here we are on Thursday with our streets essentially empty. That is a remarkable feat, and I want to thank the nation for that. By all accounts, day one of the lockdown went about as well as could be hoped for. Police Commissioner Mike Bush says for the most part, Kiwis have been sticking to the rules, staying home and staying safe. The majority of New Zealanders are already ahead of that compliance. They're doing a great job. Although it seems a handful of people still haven't got the message. We, we did have people overnight who claimed they knew nothing about this, knew nothing about the requirement to stay home. If people breach the requirements, they will be warned. And we'll keep a record of those people. We do want to take a, uh, a very caring and compassionate approach to this. But if people won't comply, uh, we do have the authority to then detain them take them to our place and uh, put them somewhere that will allow them to contemplate uh, the impact of their decisions. And it turns out the rule breakers haven't just been people out on the streets. Yesterday, the property management company Quinovic got a rap over the knuckles for sending letters to tenants warning them that they risked eviction if they fell behind in rent by 14 days, As Housing Minister Megan Woods pointed out on Morning Report, that is not correct. Well, under the legislation that we passed yesterday, um, evictions cannot occur for unpaid rent up to 60 days. At that point, if it gets into that situation, a landlord can then apply to the Tenancy Tribunal uh, for, for an eviction. Um, now, it needs to be looked at whether um, there, there were reasonable measures taken to attempt to pay rent, but really the idea here is is that that period of time, if someone's lost their job and they're unable to pay rent, that gives us time to get the support around that person. It might be through MSD because they've had a, a change in circumstances and get the appropriate support around them. So what do you make of these letters that have been sent out, including by Quinovic and other rental agencies? saying that people have 14 days? Well, well, what I make of them is they are incorrect. Um, and actually, um, we had a conversation, I had officials have a conversation with Quinovic last night um, to um, clarify what the new law is and the fact that the letters that were sent out weren't, in fact, um, correct, um, that 14 days wasn't in arrears, um, is, is not a cause for eviction. Um, and that and that, that companies needed to communicate with their tenants around what the changed laws were during this period. The Finance Minister Grant Robertson said the authorities would also be following up on allegations that wage subsidies provided to employers were not being passed on to workers. When uh, businesses took on this responsibility of taking the wage subsidy scheme and supporting their workers, they signed a declaration 
And so if they are not upholding that declaration, we have the ability to treat that as fraud. Meanwhile, the Director-General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, announced 78 new cases of COVID-19, taking the total to 283. But here's the good news. 27 people have now recovered, and so far, none of the people who've caught the disease have needed to go into intensive care. Dr Bloomfield also announced some new rules around the sale of medicines. We have seen some stockpiling, unfortunately, by people. There is no problem with the supply chain at the moment, but we do not want to get into a position where some people are unable to get the pharmaceuticals they need because others have them stockpiled at home. So pharmacists will be required to limit dispensing of all funded pharmaceuticals to one month's supply or three months' supply for oral contraceptives. There is no change to the way prescriptions will be written and people won't need to visit their prescriber more frequently. It is simply a change to the amount that is dispensed at each visit to the pharmacy. Pharmacists will still be able to make exceptions on a case-by-case basis, for example, where people live remotely and it's harder for them to access the pharmacy or where they have mobility issues, so it's a challenge for them to get out. And many pharmacies are now in the process of, if they haven't already, organising home delivery of pharmaceuticals. Also, yesterday, we saw the release of some very sobering numbers. The Punaha Matitini, a centre of research excellence for complex systems, released a statistical model of responses to COVID-19. That model shows that if the virus was left unchecked, it would infect 89% of New Zealand's population and kill 80,000 people. One of the modellers, Dr Sean Hendy from Auckland University, also warned that even if the four-week lockdown is successful, that won't be the end of this journey. There will still need to be extensive efforts to trace and contain the virus, and there may need to be more lockdowns to prevent COVID-19 from flaring up again and overwhelming the health system. But Dr Hendy says there is good news in their modelling. He explained it like this to Lisa Owen on RNZ's Checkpoint programme. Basically what our modelling has said is what we're doing now is, is the right thing. The fact that we've got the contact tracing going at the same time actually gives us a chance of stamping it out and being able to relax the measures that we've got on now. But if needs be, the type of strategy that we're, that we're embracing now, we can use it into the future uh, to keep uh, deaths low. So if we are able to uh, trace 100% of contacts, then we can, well, take our foot off the accelerator in terms of the lockdown. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, no, that's that, that's basically it, and and it's not. We don't necessarily have to get a hundred percent, but we have to get enough to slow the spread down sufficiently. And you know, we're working on on exactly how efficient we have to be at that at the moment. But it, it's, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. We just have to stop enough people uh, passing it on, and eventually the the disease will um, uh, die out. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. The better we get at contact tracing, uh, the better we get at testing, uh, the shorter uh, the lockdowns are going to have to be. The other thing to remember is. If we did take the break, the breaks off and we did have another flare-up, then we could always go back um, to these lockdowns. Before you go, because some of these numbers are really confronting, should we be heartened by this modelling or should we be really worried about it? Oh, look, I, I think we should be heartened. And I think I'm really pleased that, um, that the government is, is using um, good modelling and good data. 
Um, you know, we're one of the groups that are, that's, that's feeding and modelling to the government, and we're definitely being listened to, and it, it's played a role in the, in the, in the decision-making. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we should be heartened by it. It, it shows us that we've got a viable strategy um, and, and perhaps shows the, the counterfactual of what would happen if we did nothing. In the end, it comes down to this. The lockdown buys us time. This journey won't really be over until we can develop a treatment or vaccine, or until we can get so good at tracking and containing this virus that we can mostly go back to life as normal. Like we said earlier this week, this is a marathon. We aren't going to the finish line by looking way out into the distance and worrying about how far we have to go. We're going to get there by looking down at our feet, focusing on each step we take along the way. The most important step isn't the first step, and it isn't the last step, it's the next step. So we're still in the very early days of the lockdown, and we've had a flood of questions come through from listeners, so we invited Dr Patricia Priest back onto the show to field some of them. Dr Priest is a public health epidemiologist at Otago University. I started by asking how we will know if the lockdown is working. We are going to keep seeing cases increase for probably at least a couple of weeks from now. But if everyone is uh, staying home as requested and therefore not transmitting it to anyone else, then we should start to see the number of cases turn and start to decrease in a couple of weeks. And we've had lots of people asking whether or not they can go visit just one friend or relative so long as they don't go to meet anyone else. Is that okay? Well, the image that's being used, as you know, um, is a bubble, which is, I think, quite a useful image. So you interact only with people inside your bubble. And if you already have more than one person in your household bubble, then you shouldn't be visiting anyone else. If you're the only contact of somebody who lives alone uh, and they have nobody else to have as a buddy in their bubble, then I guess if you're really careful, you can expand your bubble slightly to include that person. But you also have to bear in mind things like the need to limit travel to only very locally. So it depends a bit on where they are as well. What about essential workers who are out on the front line and potentially putting themselves at risk of infection? Do they need to isolate from their families? That's a really interesting one. At this stage, they're not being advised to do that. But if I was an essential worker and had, particularly if I had anyone in my family who was vulnerable, um, I think I'd be thinking about how I can maintain physical distance from those people even whilst still living at home if that's possible. And many of those who are essential workers at home, they they might be parents so that, or so they have children at home or perhaps they even live with their own elderly parents. So they're in a tough situation. They may not have childcare. Can they extend their bubble a little bit in terms of can their kids go to stay at another person's house during work hours? Again, I mean, we have to be practical about this. Uh, obviously, you can't leave your kids alone if you're both having to be out at work during the day. So... Uh, again, yes, I think if you if you identify one person who's going to be the person who looks after them and they're not interacting with anybody else, so you've got that bubble going on, then that seems workable. So there's, there's general principles like try to minimise the size of your bubble, try to minimise the amount of travel, uh, try to minimise the number of people who are getting out and about. 
uh, and then you have to kind of take those principles and make them work for you. But I think the fundamental one that you, you really have to focus on as a priority is the, the creation and maintenance of your bubble, trying not to break it as hard as you can. What about if you have animals in your bubble? Should we be keeping pets indoors to prevent them becoming vectors for spreading the virus? Uh, I mean, if someone in your family is infected, then it's possible that the pet might have some virus on them. But if you think about what we're being told about going outside for some fresh air and a walk, which is that you can do it, but stay well away from other people, um, wash your hands when you get back home and so on, I think that that could reasonably apply to taking your dog for a walk. So you can go outside, take care to stay away from other people and other animals, stop them from getting too close to um, other animals or their poo, and uh, and you don't touch other people's animals. You might want to consider keeping your dog on a leash, for example, unless there are absolutely no other dogs in the park where you are. The key thing about vectors is they move infection from you know one place to another. So if it's just you and your dog in the bubble and there's no other dogs breaking in there, then it seems reasonable to me. Uh, and of course, you you mustn't touch anybody else's animals as well. So while you're staying at home, sticking to your bubble with your animals or your children or your parents, um, it can be quite unnerving when you do need to go out to get essential supplies. So for example, going to the supermarket or the pharmacy, can you give some tips on how to stay safe, how to keep your distance when you're out? I mean, there's these basic principles about staying at least two metres away and being obsessive about cleaning your hands and keeping them away from your face uh, and minimising travel. So if you can, uh, try and shop for you know several days at a time rather than go, having to go out each day uh, without panicking, of course, and filling your trolley just because you're there. You know, you clean your hands before you go into the supermarket. A lot of supermarkets are providing hand sanitizer for this purpose, which is great. Wipe the trolley handle if you can before you touch it. One of my friends yesterday went to a supermarket where they gave the uh, rule of thumb of staying at, at least two trolleys away from other people. So you've got your trolley and then an imaginary trolley between you and the next person. That's a quite a good way of um, of thinking about it and then again clean your hands when you've uh, when you leave the supermarket uh, clean your hands after you've taken groceries into the house and if we're really going to kill this thing off in four weeks we have to be quite obsessive about not bringing the virus into our house and so you know it's not a terrible thing to wash down the outside of the groceries you've bought or wipe them down with some soapy water um, or even store the non-perishables somewhere where you aren't touching them for three days, by which stage we believe the virus wouldn't be active on them anyway. Or if it's crackers or something, you could decant them into a a clean container and throw the packaging away and then clean your hands. When you start thinking about what you're touching with your hands, everywhere you go and whatever you do, including just taking groceries off the shelf, you realise that there's a lot of stuff you do where you're potentially touching something that someone else might have touched and so you need to always clean your hands after doing that. And if possible, when you're bringing things into the house, make sure they're clean. Does it make much of a difference to go around, you know, if you're going outside, if you're purchasing goods, if you're at the supermarket, touching trolleys, um, opening your car door, getting back in your car and then coming back home, does it make much of a difference to wear gloves? 
intuitively, if you had a pair of gloves that you put on when you went out and didn't take off until you got home, that would be a way of keeping your hands clean. Wearing gloves, you may be slightly less likely to touch your face because you can't, or you'd notice that you were coming towards your face with gloves on. So I think we've got the first principles about keeping our hands clean and keeping our hands away from our faces. And there are a range of different ways that we can do that and be reasonably creative about it. But bearing in mind that when you've touched things that other people have touched, there's a risk that this virus on your hands or your gloves if you're wearing them. And so being sensible and uh, thoughtful about how you manage whatever it is you're touching things with, I think is the, is the key. Lastly, Dr. Priest, I've noticed even myself when I go out to the supermarket, there's this huge increase of awareness of protecting your personal space. And, you know, everyone's looking at each other weirdly. You know, you're looking at the other person across from you and they're looking at you like, you know, don't come any closer. And and anyone that's behind you, you're really acutely aware of how, how close they are and without trying to be you know, we're normally quite friendly. We're normally quite um, open to having conversations. Well, that's the kind of person I am when I'm out in public. It is so different, and it's such a huge adjustment for a lot of people in the world and, and in New Zealand. Yes, actually, my experience of going to the supermarket is that people are, are staying away from each other but kind of smiling wryly at each other um, as if to say, <laughs> well, this is interesting, isn't it? Here we are. Um, yes. So, <laughs> It's actually felt in some ways more friendly uh, than than when everyone's just getting on with their business. Look, there's no reason why we can't have conversations with people who are two metres away from us. And I think, uh, in fact, on those rare occasions where it's absolutely essential for us to be out, it's great to have conversations with people as long as they're staying two metres away from you because it is going to be a really difficult time to get through when we're seeing very few other people apart from the people in our household. The the absolute focus is stopping this infection. That has to be the priority. But we can do it in a smiley, friendly way when we're out and about and that will be good for all of us. New Zealand, it's been a huge week. I hope over the weekend you can let out a deep breath and relax a little bit. If you're one of those still out working on the front lines, our thoughts are with you. We'll be back on Monday. Ka kite koe ireira. To play you out, we've got a song from Baz Kachion of Waiheke Island. We'll chuck the link up to his Facebook page on our website. Day one of a four-week lockdown could be fun. All my work has been shot down and this seems a pretty good time to reflect just me, my missus, the dog and the cat Youngest son when he's not gaming We squeeze in a chat I'm looking to get some shit down around the home Put my joggers on Go for a run for a roam Yeah, and see that this is a together thing And we're not alone And thanks to all of you for listening this week. Be kind, stay at home. Kia homaru, kia kaha. 
Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. And if you'd like to ask us a question or read our intro, or even just drop in with a message of support for your fellow Kiwis, you can do that through RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free and it's easy to use. Thank you.